Well, good morning. I'm especially glad that you guys are here because when I hear that I'm preaching, not many people show up. Did you feel the... <laughs> uh, if I could take a minute, I'd like to introduce the, uh, uh, the administrators from the, uh, the different Salvation Armies from, from, uh, from Jersey City, Major Sanderson. From Scranton, Majors Mark and Mary Unruh. And from Newark, Captain Jeff and Megan Brunel. And their two little children, AJ and Lily. Well, maybe you heard the story about the young woman who was walking down the street carrying her Bible. A skeptic stops and asks her, what are you doing carrying that Bible? You don't actually believe all that stuff that's written in there, do you? Every word of it, she says. Oh, come on, even that old fable about Jonah and the whale? Well, absolutely. And I suppose when you get to heaven, you're going to ask him how he did it, aren't you? She said, I might. Well, what happens if he's not in heaven when you get there? What happens then? The skeptic asks. And the woman said, well, then you'll have to ask him. Today we're going to be reading chapter 2 of Jonah. And just like the books in the Bible have many different chapters, the story of our lives have many different chapters too. Some are great chapters. Can you think of a great chapter in the story of your life? Things just seem to happen. This door opened. That door opened. That relationship got started. This blessing got poured out. Man, oh man, that was a great year, a great chapter. God did so many things. But there were other chapters that were dark chapters. And maybe you're in the middle of one of them right now. But it's in these dark chapters of life where God does his best work, his deepest work. And today we're going to read about the, the, the darkest chapter in the life of the prophet Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. And we're going to see that God is at work in our lives, even in our rebellion. God is at work in our lives, even in our rebellion. So if you're here this morning, you're feeling hopeless or in despair, or you think you've blown it so bad that God can never straighten it all out, I hope you're going to be encouraged today because we're going to read Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish. It's a, it's a psalm of death. It's a song of praise. It's, it's a prayer of desperation. And through this 2,700-year-old prayer, we're going to see that God is still actively working in our lives today. And he still has an incredible plan for our lives, no matter how bad we've blown it. Now, here's what we know about Jonah from the, the first chapter. We know that he was a great prophet. He was famous. He predicted that King Jeroboam would restore the borders, the borders of Israel, and it actually happened. People were applauding him. People wanted to, to talk to him because Jonah was the man. And then God says, go to Nineveh. Go to that place where the people you hate live to the people who have oppressed your people. And Jonah runs in the opposite direction. He knows what he's doing wrong. He knew better. And he's about to step onto a boat from the dock and run away from God. Maybe he paused for a minute and thought, you know, gee, should I or shouldn't I be doing this? We know we can't run from God, but sometimes we do it anyway, don't we? Well, next we find Jonah sleeping in the bottom of a boat, and this great storm comes because God isn't going to let Jonah run away because God wants Jonah's heart. 
The sailors don't know what to do, so they throw everything overboard. All the cargo goes in the ocean. This is how chapter 1 ends in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. If anyone had dug their own grave or walked into a storm or a trial, it was Jonah. He was a prophet, and he knew better, and he ran away from God. And now he finds himself in the belly of this great fish. It was God's Uber to get him from the sea over to Nineveh. It was... It was as if God had said, hey, whale, I'm preparing you. Swallow. Don't chew. Swallow. And go to the destination yet to be determined. As long as this, this, this song, this desperate song of death, this cry of prayer is happening, Jonah is en route to the destination that God had planned for him all the time. Maybe that's something we should think about today. See, if you're in pain today, if you're feeling hopeless today, if you're feeling angry, disgusted, or frustrated... Even in all this mess, God still has you en route to the place that he has planned for you. And one of the most important lessons that we can learn from Jonah, and the title of this morning's message is, God is at work in our lives, even in our rebellion. God is at work in our lives, even in our rebellion. One of the first questions people ask when we talk about Jonah and the fish is, do you really believe that a fish swallowed Jonah? But we can spend the next half hour or so talking about the marine life in the Mediterranean at that time, was it a fish? Was it a whale? Are there any store, other stories about fishermen or, or people in the Bible who were swallowed by a fish and survived? We can look at all kinds of evidence to prove or disprove the possibility of all this. But here's what would happen. It would be a great adventure. I mean, it would be pretty interesting to do, but we, we'd be missing the point. Because this isn't a story about a great fish or a great whale. It's a story about a great God. Do I believe that a God who created the universe that created the heavens and the earth could prepare a fish to swallow a runaway prophet? Well, yeah, I do. And here's the thing. Even if we don't believe or we don't understand, here's a question we want to ask ourselves. Anytime we're reading an Old Testament story and we, we don't really understand what's going on, we have to ask, how can I understand this story? Let me look at the New Testament. Is this story ever mentioned by anybody else or by Jesus? So let's take a quick look at Matthew 12 before we begin our study in Jonah. And let's hear Jesus' comments on this story. Jesus was dealing with some of the same questions. The Pharisees were saying, show me a sign. Why should I believe? Why should I believe the Bible? Why should I believe you? Show me something miraculous. Do a trick, Jesus. And here's how Jesus responds to the Pharisees of his time about doing a miraculous sign to prove that he was the Son of God. Matthew 12, 39 to 40. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying, you guys are all looking for a sign, but you're looking in the wrong place. Well, why should we believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish? Why should we believe that the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea and it was actually parted? Why should we believe that Noah built an ark? Well, because Jesus said so. He's the author and finisher of creation, our faith, salvation, and he's the one we trust. So if we, if we have a problem with the, the, the great fish, I think we really have a problem with what Jesus says. He'd be in the grave for three days and he'd rise again. See, the sign of Jonah is a sign of the Messiah. That's why Jonah's a gospel story. And Jesus is saying, 
Trust me on this one. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise again to prove to everyone that I'm the Savior of the world. So if we have a problem with the fish, we probably have more of a problem with Jesus. Turn with, turn with me, if you will, to Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I believe it's on page 982 of your pew Bible. If you haven't brought a copy of God's Word with you, please feel free to, to use our blue, blue pew Bible. I always screw that up. Actually, we're going to start in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great... Oh, let's pray first. Let's pray. I'm sorry. Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives, opening our ears to hear and our, our hearts to receive your word. May we be transformed and changed into the image of your Son, through Jesus Christ, amen. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to take it all the way to the end of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to... Uh, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I'll pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. What a remarkable cry. What a remarkable prayer. What great detail Jonah goes into that gives us from the belly of the fish. See, God loves us so much that he never gives up on us, even if we hate to hit rock bottom. And that's our first point this morning. God is there even if we wait to hit rock bottom to call out to him. Let's look at verse 1 again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in James 1 that if we have a desire, sometimes that desire can find its way to be conceived and lead to sin. Then sin, when it's fully grown, can lead to death. See, when we, when we take that first step of disobedience, we think, well, so far, so good. Right? So far, so good. Nothing's happened yet. And some of us have been sinning in a secret way and running from God for months, maybe even years. And nothing really bad has happened yet. And we start to think, well, I've been living like this for so long, and why not just keep going? And then something really bad happens, and we say, well, I can't really confess now. And we keep going and going, and we go farther than we ever thought we would. And we start to think, well, I, I need to repent, but I've gone so far, I, I don't know if I can repent. I don't know if I can do it. We say, gee, 
I knew better. And we end up in this place where we think it's too late to repent and to, to seek God. But God is even in that place. God is even in that place. And Jonah gets to the place where we must be going through regret because we see the word Sheol or hell, the words deep and pit. Jonah sees himself descending lower and lower, deeper and deeper, all the way to the bottom of the sea. And while this has actually happened to him, that's also the sinking feeling inside of him because Jonah knows he did it to himself. But he cried out and God heard his voice and he gets to this place where he has nowhere else to turn. And do you know that God will hear our prayer even if we have no other place to turn? God is there even if we wait to hit rock bottom to call out to him. You see, there was still this little flicker of hope, this little flicker of devotion that Jonah had that God had to get him inside the belly of the fish to soften his heart. And some of us are stubborn like that, aren't we? We have to get into pain. We have to get into dark places before we call out to God so we can pour out his love into our hearts and we can, we can open up. Look at verses 1 and 17 again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. <laughs> then Jonah prayed. Finally, finally Jonah prayed. They, they threw him into the cold, raging sea. Jonah didn't pray. He didn't pray the first day and night in the belly of the fish. He didn't pray the second day and night in the belly of the fish. It wasn't until the third day Jonah finally, finally saw God. And we're all capable of stubbornness like that, aren't we? But as our second point says, God's grace goes deeper than any of our sins. God's grace goes deeper than any of our sins. Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, I, yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. See, as Jonah's describing what's happening in the belly of the fish, he's also describing what's happening in his heart. So what's happening inside this fish? Well, think about this. God used the sailors to throw him into the ocean. We don't know how long he's treading water, and then all of a sudden it gets dark. Then there's this stench. Wham, the fish has got him. The fish has got him. Can you imagine being in total darkness for three days and three nights with that smell? Three days and three nights. Not seeing any light for three days. Seaweed wrapped around your head. Acid from the fish's stomach burning your skin and, and, and your eyes. Man, talk about agony. But I think, I think for me, the worst part would be fighting for every breath. Fighting for every breath. He talks about the, the waves and the billows coming, and he's, he's fighting for every breath. Have you been over, knocked over by a wave in the ocean? You're trying to catch your breath, and you're tumbling, and you're tumbling? He said, the water's closed over me to take my life, and he's fighting for... <coughs> Fighting for every breath. <coughs> every breath. Not just for an hour. Not just for a day. For three whole days, fighting for every breath. And he's desperately crying, God, oh God, please give me mercy. I, I can't believe that I'm in this place. I can't believe I did something so stupid. This is his cry. This is his prayer. 
Think of the shame. Think of the regret. Think of that feeling of hopelessness and loneliness he must have had. He must have hated himself. God, why did I do this to myself? And maybe you've been there. Or maybe you're there right now. You're so mad at yourself because you're your own worst enemy. Jonah's in this place. Jonah can't blame anybody but himself. His heart's been overtaken with regret. He says he's in the pit. And then verse 4 says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Now this isn't true, because God always knows where we are. God always sees us. But this is how Jonah feels. Have you ever felt that way? God, do you even see me? I messed up so bad, I, I, I must have done something I don't even know, but do you, do you see me? Do you see me? Do you care? Do you care what I'm going through? Jonah says, this is what I feel. Though it isn't necessarily true. See, this is very common in the Psalms. In fact, if, if you think about it, the most popular, most well-read part of the Bible is, is that middle section called the Psalms. And typically when we, we think of Psalms, we think about Psalms of praise, hallelujah, glory to God, thank you, God, you're so great. But more than half the Psalms don't have that tone to them. They start with a, a, a cry for mercy. They're called lament psalms. Now, a lament psalm has, has four parts to it. The first part is a, is a cry for mercy. God, I'm in pain. Oh, God, I'm in so much trouble. I, I, I'm desperate. I need your help, God. And the second part of a lament psalm is what I'm going through. Jonah says, I, I, I can't breathe. I have seaweed all around my head, and it's, it's dark, and I'm alone, and my, my soul is being crushed. And the third part of a lament psalm uh, is, is when I cry out for mercy and we describe, we describe what we're going through. God, I know that somehow, somehow you're still here, Lord, and I have confidence that if I cry out to you, I know you're going to eventually hear me. And then most lament psalms end with praise, and Jonah says, you've delivered me from the pit. Now, if you were going to write your own psalm like Jonah, what would your psalm be? Think about the darkest chapter of your life. What would you say it felt like to cry out to God? What would you say if you cried out to God and said, God, if you don't show up, I'm not going to make it. God, here's, my, here's the circumstances I'm in. God, I don't know if, I don't feel your presence right now, but I just, I'm just trusting that I'm going to trust you in the middle of the storm and I'm going to praise you anyway, Lord. See, this psalm, this, this prayer, all takes a turn in verse 4. At the beginning of verse 4, it says, I'm driven from your sight. But then he uses this simple three-letter word, and it's the turn of this entire book. It's the word yet. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Even though I feel this way, even though I'm in this circumstance, yet I'll look upon your holy temple. See, this yet moment is the decisive moment in this prayer and in Jonah's life. And it's the same thing with us. When we realize that God hasn't forgotten us, that God hasn't forsaken us, and his grace goes deeper than any of our sin. In the middle of pain, in the middle of what he says, Sheol, hell, I'm in hell, he says, yet. Yet I will cry and look toward your holy temple. Now what does that mean, I'll look toward your holy temple? Well, back in the day, the temple was where God's presence was. And Jonah's saying, I'm so discombobulated, I don't even know which way is up. I can't see, I can't feel, I just know I need to turn to where God's presence is, to Jerusalem, where God is. And what's in that temple? The Ark of the Covenant is in the temple. And what's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, the law of God. See, at this point, Jonah knows that he's a sinner. Inside the Ark was the Ten Commandments, but on top of the Ark was this Beautiful mercy seat. 
God's mercy covers over the law and the brokenness we have. And Jonah knows that he can find mercy because of that mercy seat. Once a year, the priest would take a spotless lamb and, and sprinkle the blood of that lamb in, in this place to redeem the people. And Jonah's crying out, God, I put myself in this mess and I deserve this judgment and I deserve everything I'm getting, but I'm going to look toward your holy temple. Save me, please. God's grace is deeper than any of our sins. You might say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we've done. Wherever our sin goes, his grace goes deeper. This is who God is. This is why Jesus died on a cross for our sins. It wasn't just for the so-called acceptable sins or sins we only do once in a while. He died for every sin, sins that are repetitive, for sins that we knew better, for sins that we never thought we were capable of doing. That's God's grace in your life and my life, the grace of Jesus. That's why he suffered and died on the cross, to pay for those sins even before we committed them. That blows my mind. Even before we committed them, he never paid for them. See, he didn't just prepare a great fish. He prepared a great Savior. And Jonah is longing for that, Jonah is longing for that salvation. Aren't you grateful that we have a God who knows what we need even before we ask? Jonah needs atonement. He needs, to, he needs to pay, someone to pay for the forgiveness of those sins that he's committed. So if you were going to write your own psalm, what would it be like? Well, my, my personal psalm, my personal Bible verse is Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. And it, it, it's, it, it's just exactly what God did in my life. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the muck and mire. And he set me on firm ground and steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he's done in my life and be amazed. And then they'll want to put their faith and trust in God. Can you relate? Was there a time in your life when you knew you were sinking down? Before I came to Christ, I was slowly, slowly but surely sinking down. No way to save myself. No way to help myself. No way to forgive myself for the sins I've committed. Slowly but surely sinking down until it was all right up to here. No matter how much we cry for someone to help us in our time of need like that, no one can really help us except God himself. God, I need you to save me. And God took me from the muck and the mire and put me on a firm foundation. And now that sinking feeling I had is gone because God has me in his hands. He said, I'm going I'm to take that old song that you had in your heart, that song that's all about you and about pleasure, and I'm going to take that mind that's filled with junk and self-centeredness, and I'm going to give you a new mind and a new song to sing, and you're going to sing that song. And when you sing that song, other people are going to see your life and want to put their faith and trust in me because of what I've done in your life. God is good all the time. Amen. Has that happened in your life? Jesus has saved you. Jesus has washed you and given you a testimony. That's what's happening with Jonah. See, this test for Jonah is going to turn into a testimony. That's why these stories are in the Bible, to point to the greatness of God. Not our greatness, to the greatness of God. You see, in our brokenness, God's grace is deep and his redemption is working in our lives. Now, Jonah's repentance isn't done yet. He has some more work to do in the next chapter, but the brokenness is starting to happen. Now that Jonah's in the belly of fish, God's taken away everything that Jonah has control of. 
Jonah can't preach a, a sermon to anyone in the belly of the fish. Nobody can pat Jonah on the back and say, Jonah, you're the man, you're a great prophet. He can't control anything. Before he ran away from God, he had enough money to buy a ticket to Tarshish. Here, his money's useless. He has no control, no audience, no one to impress. He's there at the core of who he is. And again, this is where God does his best work. When he takes, takes away everything that we think makes us who we are. Every breath, just God and Jonah. I don't know if God has ever stripped you down to where you, it's only you and God. And all you can think about is that you're barely surviving and it has to be God, the one, the one, that's the, the one that God is the one that's sustaining you. And although it doesn't seem like it at the time, it's a beautiful place to be in this life. Fellas, it's a beautiful place to be in this life. It is. Because that's where God's going to speak. And that's where God's going to speak to Jonah. You see, Jonah was a great prophet. But if you would ask Jonah back in the day, you would ask back in the day, who knows the most Bible verses? Jonah would have won that prize. We all know people who can quote the Bible from cover to cover, don't we? They can quote it word for word. But here's the thing, and don't get me wrong, it's great to memorize Scripture. We have to memorize Scripture in case we're being tempted or going through something or, or, or we want to help somebody in their time of need. But here's the thing. We can, all, we can get an A on the Bible verse test, but not have the verse go from here to here. We can believe certain things in our head, but not believe them in our heart. We believe that things are true for everybody else, but not true for us. And God is saying to Jonah, Jonah, you said some great things in my name. You've done amazing works in my name, but it needs to get into your heart. And this is the place where God is pursuing Jonah's heart, and he stripped everything away. And I think we would be wise as Christians to continue to preach that message to ourselves so, that, so the, gospel message gets from, the gospel message gets from our head to our heart. When the Bible tells us we're sons and daughters of God, that we're part of his family, that we're forgiven, we need to believe it here in our hearts, not just in our heads. Do we look in the mirror and say, you know, God, I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how you can forgive me, but I'm just so glad you did. But as we say that over and over, that gets into our heart. We have to believe it. And that's what's happening with Jonah. It's happening in the form of, of discipline, not punishment. See, this isn't a death sentence. This is a rescue mission. See, punishment is when you make somebody pay for what they did. Jesus paid for everything. Jesus paid it all. Discipline is when you lovingly rebuke someone to get them to change their way, not to punish them. Look at Hebrews 12, what it says about discipline. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as sons. That's a beautiful thing. I don't know, maybe you didn't have such a good father. I don't know. Maybe your father wanted complete obedience. Do things my way or I'm going to punish you. Got to be done my way. Or, uh, you, you, you're going to make me mad. And you're going to do it my way and comply with me. Until you do it, I, I'm going to punish you because I have the control and the power and I can make you do it. That's not a good father. A good father says that I want my heart and your heart to be like this. I want, I want to help you. And sometimes discipline is a part of that process. I want to redirect you and correct you. And sometimes we resist that type of discipline, don't we? Most of us have had kids here. We have kids. Remember when they were going through their terrible twos? Yeah, you, Caitlin. They think they know what they're doing. So your two-year-old wants to run in the street. 
And as a parent, you can't say, oh, well, they've got to learn a lesson. Let them go. No, you grab them, and you look them in the face, and you say, no, don't do that. That could kill you if you go out there. And sometimes when you're two and you think you know everything and you want your own way as your father's holding you, you start to flail. You start to scream, leave me alone. Don't try to control me. I want, I want to run in the street. And in that moment, it's not the child's grip on the father that's keeping the child safe. It's the father's grip on the child that's keeping that child safe. And it's the same thing with our father. When we bristle against his discipline, when we rebel against his commands and we flail and we want to do things our way, I don't believe what the Bible says. Don't try to control my life. I want to do things my way. God says, son, I got you. Flail away, but I got you. My grip on you is what's keeping you safe and secure. The author of Hebrews 12 goes on to say, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained, that, trained by it. Son, look at me. I got you. You're not going in the street today. I love you too much. God's doing that with Jonah in the belly of the fish. Jonah, you're out of control. Jonah, you're going into this shame cycle of regret and hatred. You're going into this place where you're going to want to isolate from me because you don't think you, be, you can be forgiven. And they're going to have you put you in a place where there's pain, where pain is going to happen so you can have a harvest of righteousness so our hearts can be united together. And maybe you're in the middle of that right now and it feels like God's forgotten you, God is angry at you, God's punishing and condemning you, but you're missing the heart behind the Father who says, I'm doing this for your own good. We fight brokenness with everything in us. We fight brokenness with everything that's in us. But that's where freedom starts. We're in the hand of the Father who loves us and knows what's best for us. So if you're running in the street right now, let God hold on to you. Let God hold on to you. Say, look me in the eyes. My son, my daughter, you're secure in my hands. Just follow me. Just follow me. God uses brokenness so we can come to the end of ourselves. And no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we screw up, we always get a do-over because God is a God of second chances. And that's our third point this morning. God is a God of second chances. Verse 8 says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their, their, uh, their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I'll pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, the affliction that Jonah's going through is shaping Jonah's rebellious heart. And Jonah's finally admitting that he's wrong. But this isn't going to be the end of the story. It's actually a chance to turn the page, to begin a new chapter. Because confession leads to repentance, and repentance leads to a life of no regrets. Confession leads to repentance, and repentance leads to a life of no regrets. That's what 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 tells us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So in verse 8, he gets to this place where he has a profound revelation. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is a moment of revelation. Jonah feels like God's forsaken him, and he cries out for mercy, and then he turns his focus towards God's mercy. And he says, I know that those who cling to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's God's grace. See, there's a revelation here. God's teaching them, Jonah, you've been a man, and you put idols between me, me and you. So watch Jonah's idol. 
Well, I think Jonah's idol was his sense of superiority that he had, right? Jonah thought he was the man, his, uh, his self-righteousness, his reputation. He was the prophet, and everyone wanted to be like him. When he spoke, they were like, whoa, listen to Jonah, listen to this guy. And then, and then, and then God says, go to Nineveh. Go to those people. Go to those people. Jonah didn't like those people. He didn't want those people to be saved. And maybe you say, well, I don't have a sense of superiority like that. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. Think with me for a second. If the Bible's a mirror and Jonah is a mirror, we can learn some things here. Have you ever thought this when you watch TV or the news or read something on Facebook? What's wrong with those people? What's wrong with those people? The world would be a better place if people were more like me, you know. People who thought like me, people who acted like me, people who were more generous than, 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 than hateful, people who had more control over what their kids did. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. When we watch all that stuff that's being said and done out there, it seems like the world's gone crazy, doesn't it? And there's a part of us that wants to say, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Like the Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. I'm glad I'm not like that pagan. I'm glad I pray every day. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. Be careful. Be careful. Jonah's idol was himself. And God strips him down to where it's just him and God. There's nothing left. Him and God. And he says, those who pay homage to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. You see, when Jonah cried out for help, he didn't cry out to himself. I'm the man. I'll help myself. I'll help myself. I'll forgive myself. Our idols can't save us. What were the Ninevites' idols? Well, if you read the prophet Nahum, all three chapters, they talk about the same thing, the power and invincibility of that, that Nineveh had, the Assyrian army. The Assyrian nation felt so powerful, so secure, they thought they were invincible. Their idol was their invincibility. I've got enough power, I've got enough money, enough strength, I know how to figure everything out no matter what happens. I'll always be in control. And they're about to experience total loss of control. You see, because if we think we have the, the power and we have control, and we get a bad report from the doctor, or we have a son or a daughter who's a prodigal, and we don't know where they are, we don't know what they're doing, we realize we can't call out to anyone to get help. The only person we could call out there at that moment is the creator of heaven and earth who knows us, who knows our body, who knows our daughters, knows our son, and only he can change, heal, and redeem those things. He's the only one we can call out to. The sailors of Tarshish, they had idols too. Their idol was their wealth. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, the Bible describes the ships of Tarshish and all the money and wealth that was there. Your money can't save you. Your wealth can't save you in your moment of need. Your own self-righteousness can't save you in your moment of need. And Jonah comes to this defining moment. It's only by, hope, only by putting our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. So today, so Jonah opens up his hands and says, God, I'm done. I'm not going to cling to idols anymore. You're the only one that can save me, the only one that can help. I surrender. So today, if you thought about this question, what's, real, what's your idol? What would you say? You know, that thing that you think about more than God, that thing that makes you feel secure, or that thing that makes you feel anxious, the thing that has your, your heart, the thing that has your attention, 
God wants to be moving. God wants it gone in your life. You want an antidote to the idolatry in your life? Here's a great verse from chapter 6 in Matthew. Jesus talks about all the things that get between us and God. And here's what he says in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's okay to have power. It's okay to have wealth. It's okay to have money to buy the things you want and the things you need as long as the, that your money doesn't keep you from the things that money can't buy. As long as you keep God first, all those things don't get in the way. We're called to enjoy life, have an abundant life, but we can't get our priorities mixed up. We should seek God first and his righteousness, then all that other stuff will be added. God doesn't want us walking around with our heads hung low saying, oh, poor me, poor me. No, we're supposed to walk in beautiful, abundant love because God's at work in our lives, conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the Christian life God invites us to. It's an awesome journey. Many of us can attest to it here today. It's an awesome journey. So Johnny gets to this place in verse 9. He says, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I'll pay. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah hits bottom, and he finds that God is at the bottom, and that God's grace is deeper than his sin, and he finally says, God, I know that salvation comes from you, and I know that I'm in a desperate need of salvation, just like the Ninevites, just like the men of Tarshish. I'm in the same place. So God, I'm going to make a vow, and I'm going to keep that vow. I'm going to Nineveh. I'm going to Nineveh, and I'm going to give you thanks because you, you do all things well. It's never too late to be who you could have been because God is a God of second chances. And Jonah's going to get a second chance. Aren't you glad we serve a God of second chances? Amen. See, when Jonah feels like he's blown it, the storm doesn't get the, the, the final word. The belly of the fish doesn't get the final word. God's going to get the final word in Jonah's life. And God gets the final word in our lives. The entire time he's going through this suffering and agony, he's on the way to the plan that God has for his life. God knows where we are at all times. He knows what we've done. He knows what we're thinking. And all he asks is that we come to him in, in, in faith and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And he'll take care of everything else. He'll take care of everything else. There's no way to flee from his presence. God's written out a plan for our lives before we were even born. And he's directing us toward the plan that he has, the plan and the purpose that he has for us in our lives. Jonah's en route to God's destiny for him. And this is a beautiful picture of what God's doing for us, fellas. It's a beautiful picture of what God's doing for us. Because right now, if you're in the middle of pain, middle of suffering and disappointment, as God works all this out, trust him. Even if it doesn't feel like it, trust him that he's taking you to the place that he wants you to be. So in verse 9, he finally gives up, finally surrenders, finally looks to God. And sometimes we get to this place in, in brokenness and God will almost immediately open up the floodgates and pour out his grace and mercy into our lives. And sometimes it takes a little bit of while, a little bit of time as we see in Jonah's life. And we get to verse 10, we see that uh, we, we see that God will change us and use us to change others. That's our fourth point. God will change us and use us to change others. Verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Pretty descriptive, huh? Ay, ay, ay. This is a perfect picture of God's grace. God's grace. Let's read it again. 
And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on dry land. You see, there was only two ways to exit this fish. And I, and I, and I, and I think Jonah got the most graceful way. See, if Jonah had gone to Nineveh without going through all this stuff and just gone in, the, in an unbroken state, he would have been arrogant, self-righteous. But there's something about when you've been through some stuff, when you speak, it carries some weight. Remember Moses? He'd meet with God and he'd shine, uh, his face would shine so bright after they met they'd have to put a veil over it. It affected Moses. Remember, remember Jacob? He was the man who wrestled with God. Before he wrestled with God, it was about me, myself, and I. Jacob thought he was uh, 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 all out in a bag of chips. Jacob was the man. But after he wrestled with God, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. See, there's something about people with a powerful testimony who walk with a limp and say, it's not about me. It's not about my, the family I was born to. It's not about how well I speak or how much money I have or don't have. It's about a God who took me from a place of brokenness and he's using me. And I don't even understand why, but I'm just so grateful that he does. The world is in desperate need to hear from people who have been, been, been through some stuff, who walk with a limp, who, 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 who've been broken, and they come out of the other side shining. We're called to share our testimony with the, the people of this world. Now, Jonah has to walk 300 miles to Nineveh from the shore. I wonder what he thought about on that walk. Well, I know one thing he thought about. I ain't getting on no boat. But I wonder, what was going, I wonder what was going through his head. Oh, Maron, I should be dead right now. That's the NIV, the new Italian version. <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe I was in this storm. I, I, I can't believe I was, on a, I was in this fish. Man, my, my, my skin is so white. Oh, I could breathe again. Now, I don't know what he must have been thinking, but by the time he gets to Nineveh, he preaches the most effective sermon that leads to the greatest revival in all the Bible. Now, we don't know it was because God had prepared the hearts of the Ninevites or that look of brokenness on Jonah's face. I don't know. We just know that God works through brokenness. And if you're here this morning and you're in that dark place and if you've given up on yourself and you think you can never be that person and there seems to be no way out, you're in a place for God to work in your life. Even if you feel as though you've hit rock bottom, God still hears you and his grace goes deeper than any sin we could ever commit. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't given up on you. He's not paying you back for the things you've done. He's bringing you back. Because he's a God of second chances. It's God's rescue mission. He wants to change you so you can change other people because a changed life stands out in this crazy world. And when people see you and say, man, you look so different. What happened to you? Tell them, I met a man named Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me. You have a chance to share your testimony with people. But before we say amen and close our service, I want, to, I want to ask a question. If you drew your last breath tonight, are you absolutely certain that if, when you breathe again, you would breathe heavenly air? Or was the answer, I'm not sure, or I don't know? Jesus promised if you, don't, if you have the Son, you have life. But if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You're either saved or you're lost. No in between. Maybe you're a Christian who's walked away and you feel the need to return. Today could be the turning point. You want to give anyone here a chance who hasn't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior an opportunity to do that today. 
If you never turn to, to if you never turn to God, maybe He's orchestrating the circumstances in your life to cause you pain, not to punish you, not to punish you, but to get your attention. And right now, at this moment, He has your attention. And here's what God is hoping for today: that you would open your hands, give up your idols, and say, "God, I want to turn from my sin." I want to repent, and I want to give you control of my life, Lord. We know the story of the Bible. We know our story. We all sin to fall short of the glory of God, and all of us need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. You see, Jonah can tell us what's wrong with us, but God, Jesus is the only one who can fix it. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he came to, to forgive our sins. And if you receive this free gift today, it's going to change your life, and it's a decision you'll never, ever regret. So if you want to begin a relationship with God today and confess that you're a sinner with all eyes closed, heads bowed, repeat after me. I'm going to say a short prayer. There's no magic words to this prayer. This isn't some, some uh, uh, you're not joining a church. You're not joining a, some religion. Christianity isn't, a, isn't about a religion. It's about a relationship. So repeat after me. Father, thank you for loving me. I know that I failed you in so many ways. I'm truly sorry for the sins of my life. I believe that you love me so much that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me, to take away the penalty that I deserve. I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me, not in my good works, for what Jesus did for me to save me from my sins. Forgive me and help me to spend the rest of my life serving you. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I challenge you. Talk, tell somebody today. Pull somebody on the side. During lunch, there's people walking around with name tags. I'll be in there. Tell somebody that you made that commitment today. And they'll point you in the right direction of what your next step is. Amen? Amen. Amen.